Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Lisa Goldberg, who is a publicist that I know through the scene here in New York, but she reps people across the board in film and television and theater and music and, I mean, even venues, because yes, even a place can benefit from a publicist because you need to try to get parties there. You need to try to get after parties for your with your big celebrities and get these places shown in movies and TVs and whatever the, the case is. But she made her mark a long time ago, put herself on the scene just thinking outside the box. She started repping restaurants and venues, started meeting high profile people, VIPs through those things. And then all of a sudden, like just morphed naturally into representing them and so on and so on. And of course, we recorded this in quarantine. And recently, the Broadway community was greatly affected by the loss of Nick Cordero, who actually is a former client and was a very close friend of hers. So she was talking about how that affected her and how she's handling being in quarantine. And of course, she is a performance person and stage people are people who need people or whatever that quote is, of course. But it was just a great story. Again, a testament to how many opportunities there are to work and stage and screen without actually being in front of the camera. As always, before we dig in, please find me online on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast or on Facebook slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now. And everybody, please now enjoy this episode with Lisa Goldberg. Here you go. One, two, three. My guest today is the owner of LSG Public Relations in New York, LA, and London, and representing talent and creatives across the board in film, television, theater, and music, as well as charity work, restaurant, and bars, and red carpet events. Prior to becoming a publicist, she was a professional dancer working in the theater, and I am very excited to dig into her story as just scrolling through her Instagram account is post after post of some of the most amazing pictures with people like Mark Hamill, Gerard Butler, Montego Glover, James Vanderbeek, Katrina Bowden, Mark Kudish, Paul Rudd, Mick Jagger, so, so many more. Lisa Goldberg, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Alan. No problem. So, gosh, being a publicist right now in the time of COVID, it, it's mid-July here while we're recording this, and Broadway has... I mean, I will say has no sign of returning, but, you know, there's sort of the the hint that it's going to return in the early 2021. I don't know. But before we get into that, which we will, um, standard stuff on the podcast, obviously, we'll start about where you grew up and, you know, what your childhood was like. So you were originally from South Carolina, yeah? That's correct, yeah. Born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, home of the Fighting Cox, Go Gamecocks. That's right. I used um, to have a, a hat in college. I was like, look how ironic I am. I have a hat that says Cox on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, my favorite thing is when I'm walking down the street, well, when we used to be able to walk down the street, um, and some dude would be walking towards me who had a Carolina hat on that just said Cox, and I'd be like, hey, go, did you go to USC? And he's like, what? <laughs> you got your hat? That's actually a school. But okay, never mind. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so born and raised in Colombia, and uh, I grew up a very serious ballet dancer, and I would leave um, during my summers and go away and study uh, with ballet companies across the country and in New York, and um, then I did not want to go to college. I wanted to move up to New York right away, 18, and my parents convinced me to go to school and said, um, you know, it's an experience that you'll never have again. It's the best time of your entire life, which thank God they made me go because it was the best time of my life. Um, and I started auditioning and it was between Indiana University and Florida State. Indiana had a huge dance program that was amazing. The campus was gorgeous. And Florida State has a huge musical theater program and dance and voice program. And Florida State ended up offering me money. So I went and became a Seminole. That's cool of your parents to to pitch college to you as the time of your life. Because I mean, it's true. It's very true. For everybody listening now who's like, I don't think I need to go to college. No, you do just to like get that out of your system. You will never have a time as great as college in most cases. But you know, I've heard so many people whose parents are like, you have to go because of the education. You need the, you need the degree. You need the four-year degree. Like, and that's actually something that my parents instilled in me, I sort of have guilt about even considering not going to college because my parents, you know, were like, you, it doesn't matter ultimately sort of what degree you get. You just need to have one. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously that was behind all of it, but I, it was definitely the smart move to make in trying to talk me into it because I was a bit of a party girl and I don't know what connotation that has in this day and age. I wasn't doing drugs or drinking excessively or, you know, running around naked. I just, you know, I was student body president type party girl. It was that kind of thing. So, um, socialite, like you, yeah, it led you know, to, that, like, I wanted to go and, you know, hang out with boys and go to fraternity parties and go to football games. And, <clears throat> you know, so that was the way to talk me into it. But I am truly grateful that I listened to them and they said it because it really was the best time of my life, 100%. And still, my some of my absolute best friends are the people that I met in college. And, and you know, <laughs> years later, they're still yep. some of my best friends. Right. Yeah, my, mine too. I agree that, like, because you're sort of going through, uh, you know, it, it's an intense experience. I was going to use the word trauma, but trauma is, I think, misused. I was about to misuse it, I guess. But, like going through um, an intense emotional experience, whether it's, you know, finding your own in college or whatever that comes through, or like, that's why theater, I think in general, right, is the theater troops and casts are so close because you have that intense experience where you have to go through rehearsal and tech and opening. And then all of a sudden, and, and to be good at your job, you have to be emotionally vulnerable anyway. But so I think college is sort of a, a longer version of a, of a shrunken, you know, production timeline. Right. But, that's a really good way of integrating it into a podcast about theater. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Um, well, then, what was it though? Like when, what as a child, what was it that made you like attracted to theater and dance in the first place? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I came out. I came out of the womb dancing, I think. You know, my mom put me in dance classes when I was three. I started in tap classes at three and then uh, started ballet at six. You know, as soon as I was old enough and allowed to be in ballet classes, because you have to be of a certain age. And it just turns out like I, 
you know, without sounding like a jackass, like I had a real natural ability for it. So, and I loved it. So those two things combined, it just made perfect sense. And there was never a time from that point on that I wasn't in dance classes all day, every day or forever. You know, in high school, I would obviously go to school all day and then I'd get out of school at like, what, two thirty, three o'clock or something and go straight to the dance studio. And I used to teach when I was a teenager, I'd teach the younger kids ballet. So I would go and teach a class or two and then I'd take, you know, our company class and then we'd have rehearsal afterwards and then I wouldn't get home until like 11 o'clock at night, do my homework, go to bed, get up, do the whole thing all over again. Somehow I also still had time to go out on dirt roads with friends on the weekends here and there. (laughs) I was very good at finding ways of, uh, of still having a life, but I, I danced all the time. And like I said, I would go away during summers too. I stayed at Washington ballet, I stayed at Glefsky ballet. I would come stay in New York, study with David Howard, um, studied with people at SAP. Uh, it was just, you know, that was what I wanted to be. Now I did not have the body of a ballet dancer. Um, I was very thin and small and, dancer like but not ballet dancer like I always had the TNA so that was never going to translate into me joining a ballet company um I think my feet kind of sucked too to be honest um (laughs) but you know I would say I started getting into musical theater probably in middle school I think my parents went to London for their 40th wedding no 40th birthdays rather um and they saw the original Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera, if I'm not incorrect, and brought back, uh, not CDs, whatever it was at the time, I guess tapes, um, for me. And so I started listening to it and then fell in love with musical theater and started doing community theater in Columbia as well as the ballet company and taking voice lessons from, from University of South Carolina, and it just spiraled from there. That's so cool. Yeah, it, it's fun to me, like... I- I was sort of, I sort of have something similar that my, my parents or my mom, um, listened to, uh, the Phantom soundtrack a lot, but then like I had VHS tapes that I wore out of singing in the rain music, man and West side story. So I was like, Oh, like, and I, for me, I've always tried as an adult. Now I've tried to look back and sort of figure out what it is about though, that scenario that I've, that I really was attracted to in the scenario being like the song and dance sort of guy, uh, um, being able to dance, being able to sing. And I, and for me, it was a little bit of, I guess, uh, it, it was a way to be instantly sort of accepted and, and liked because I was always felt a little bit out of place. And I don't know if like that's what all kids felt or if it was just me, but I, it, it was kind of a home for me to be able to go into a cast and be told how to act who, you know, given lines to say and not have to worry about being liked or not. I think, I mean, from interviews I hear all across the theater all the time, I think the majority of people feel that way as well, as you did. I, I mean, that was not my scenario. Um, I did it because I, you know, I was pretty good at it and, and I loved it. And like, that's just what I wanted to be. That, that was just the end of it. Like, I've always been a person, like, once I made up my mind with something, that was what it is. They don't have to have a reason behind it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I never, I luckily never had that experience where I felt that way. Um, I can certainly empathize with it. And I definitely think the theater is a home for a lot of people in that, in that way. And that's how they found their way there. 
So it, at what point then did you transition out of performing and start doing the behind the scenes? And I mean, what made you decide PR, you know? Um, sheer luck of falling into it um, in circumstances. So when I got up to New York, um, I actually quit school after my sophomore year. Don't quit school, kids. Um, <laughs> but I, I left school when I was 20 and moved up to New York when I was 20. Started auditioning, got my first national tour six months later. So I was working for a while. And then um, I started getting sick. I got uh, really sick with some autoimmune um, stomach issues that escalated pretty severely and got to a certain point where I couldn't dance or perform anymore. And, you know, I was trying to wait tables so that I could, you know, stay here. I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was move back to South Carolina, but I got to a point where I was so sick that I needed some, you know, help and um, ended up going to Mayo Clinic with my mom and having to move back to South Carolina for a few years and living with my parents. And then once I got into some sort of remission of sorts and got it all cleared up, I packed my bags and moved back up to New York. Um, at that point, you know, I had crossed over 30 and uh, that's starting to get a little old for a dancer. Uh, my agent had, you know, moved to CAA in LA and certainly like I wasn't going to start back up with them. They weren't going to care about, you know, what are we supposed to call us now? Gypsies? We were horse girls, but well, we're yeah. not allowed to say gypsies. I can't say right? gypsy anymore. It's, what uh, do you even say? Ensemble. Uns yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah, because yeah, I don't even remember gypsy. what that name, that new name is, a robe. Anyway, so... I uh, had to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I took a job. A friend of a friend had a restaurant in Chelsea, and I took a job what I thought was going to be waiting tables while I decided what I could be. And he, he, I was like always a good schmoozer on my own behalf. I didn't know that translated into a job, but he uh, hired me to do his in-house PR with absolutely no experience, and. Um, within a couple of months, I had a second restaurant that I was doing PR for, and I was harassing uh, George Clooney's publicist in LA to get George into the restaurant for a film premiere. And luckily, Stan, his publicist Stan, took a liking to me and took me under his wing and said, you know, you should start your own firm, and here's how you do it. And I just did it. And that was um, almost 14 years ago. Wow. So how do you, how do, you do that, though, when, you know, here's... Okay, so you're deciding I'm just going to go off and do my own PR. Like, if you have you have clients, I mean, you've had some clients now in your roster for for years, and I mean, is it like if I mean, I'm not, I guess, asking to reveal all your secrets, but if I were like, okay, I'm completely reinventing myself and I want to go out and do my own thing now, do do I go find actors who are also fresh out and hope that? that they, they succeed with my help? I mean, uh -huh. you have to prove yourself as much as your clients do. And sort of, it's kind of sort of a chicken and egg scenario, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's different in the way that they handle their business, obviously. I'm not giving up any secrets by telling you what I do. I mean, and continue to do. Um, I mean, obviously, 14 years later, things have changed a little bit where people come to me a lot more than me having to chase someone down. But that doesn't mean that I don't see someone straight out of school or someone who's making their Broadway debut and I 
somebody has tipped off their name to me or I happen to catch something on YouTube and I'm, I'm chasing them down either through their agent or through their social media or however I can get to them. So I'm, I'm not about that. Um, you know, in the beginning, I started going after some big fish, obviously, like Clooney, but but to get because I was representing venues at the time and still do still and still would do this for a venue where I you know befriended people at Saturday Night Live uh, so that we could host the Saturday Night Live parties after parties at the venue and host film premiere parties. We did like a movie with Michael Keaton that was you know a big get. We got um, I would go after um, movie scout film and TV scouts. So that when they needed a restaurant to shoot for their TV show or film, they would come shoot in our place. And we'd have a buyout for three days where you know, Colin Firth and Uma Thurman came and shot a restaurant for two weeks that we shut down. But also negotiated where, okay, for a certain amount of money, you're going to close down the restaurant and you're going to pay us you know, to just shoot here. But for a little less money then we get a guarantee that you're going to show the front of the restaurant, including the name and a menu front cover, you know, that kind of, cause you just can't buy that kind of publicity. So in a uh, way, we're buying that kind of publicity. Well, that's, so that's why people buy, buy, that's why people do buy billboards in Times Square, right? I mean, part sure. of it. Absolutely. You get a wide shot of Times Square in a movie and then that, that advertisement is in that movie for life. Yeah. And there's a, a really not so great film um, starring Colin Firth and Uma Thurman. I cannot for the life of me think of the name of it, but it was <laughs> um, that they shoot in a restaurant called Safa, which was stunning. And you see the name Safa and Bruce, Bruce, oh, actually, no, wrong movie. It was a different movie. Sorry. Colin's movie, Colin Uma's movie was actually kind of cute. This was a, a Bruce Willis Halle Berry movie that shot in our restaurant in Sapa. So in this one, we negotiated that Bruce Willis actually said the name of the restaurant in the film and the film will still show on TV. Now it's a really not good movie, but Bruce Willis and Halle Berry are sitting at the bar and he starts talking about a Hemingway daiquiri and that, um, Sapa is one of the only places that makes a Hemingway Zachary correct or something like that. And then I got that on page six after that. And, you know, it was like, they called me restaurant manager, which kind of pissed me off. <laughs> 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 it was my first page six. That, and they talked about Bruce Willis talking about Sapa in the restaurant. So that's how, you know, you just kind of spiraled off of that. And I would meet people that way. So one of my first actor clients was Martha Plimpton. I mean, Martha's been with me on and off for almost 14 years. And I met her at a Saturday Night Live after party that we held at the restaurant. She was dating somebody who was on SNL at the time. And Martha and I met and hit it off. And then when she needed a publicist about four months later, she remembered me and called me. So, yeah, it's all about... Yeah, being a nice person and and keeping the connections going. I, I didn't even think about that. I've 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 been to an SNL after party, and you know, it was down in the West Village somewhere. And and yeah, I I, I just assumed it was someone from the SNL team who just had a standing reservation with some place. They're like, all right, we'll just send all our people there. Here's where the cars go. And uh, and no, I guess there's yeah, it's like thinking outside the box and getting influential people to a place for reasons other than just let me promote you. It's, it's the whole project. So, yeah. 
Plus, back you know, back in that day. Um, but but then also, you know, the weekly magazines were very important. Like print was way more important then. So it was all about getting your product or your venue or your person in us weekly or in touch or whatever, you know, one of the weeklies was where it mentioned so-and-so was in Sapa eating a you know fish sandwich or whatever it may have been. I mean, actually like in the history of all the placements I did, the semi most amusing one was um, Ivana, Ivana, I was about to say Ivanka, um, whatever her name is she and and jared came into our restaurant on their first date and then it ended up in people magazine and then i saw them at a party like a month and a half later and he started screaming at me about the people magazine he was all (laughs) (laughs) do so as a publicist people do people still reach out to you and they're like I, you know, I have an, an influential other publicist for big influential clients are like, they're about to go on a date with somebody or we need a cool place to go tip off the press that, that these people are going to be here. Um, uh, it, dep- it depends on, it depends on who we're talking about. You know, I, for the most part, people aren't tipping off as much anymore. Um, like, yeah, that does happen. I would say it's 50, 50. Sure. And, and certainly when you see, and again, like, you know, it's not as prevalent right now because, you know, print as, isn't as relevant to see people aren't getting their weekly magazines that they're reading through. They're looking at it online. So everything is happening much faster on a daily basis. But when it was more about the print, you know, if you saw a celebrity walking through the airport drinking a Coke, Like I, if it was my celebrity, I was the one who also brokered the deal where they happened to be drinking a Coke and there happened to be a photographer there. Like none of all of that. Like I'm giving away secrets, I guess, but I hate to burst anyone's bubble. Like it's all set up. (laughs) That's gotta be so stressful though for, for the people, like the, the humans that want to like your clients, right? Do they, I guess they must get paid for that, right? Is that a paid endorsement? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's basically like as if you, you know, you would think as if you were doing a commercial, but it's, you're just, you're signing up a paparazzi shot. Now, my clients in in general, like I've had some, we've set those things up, but we don't, I've never been of the sort that tipped off a restaurant in exchange for, you know, that's just not my thing. Um, I've had other publicists do that to me and everybody's different and it depends on the client, you know, especially if you're dealing with, uh, reality stars or, you know, I guess nowadays there would be influencers, quote unquote, whatever that means, you know, YouTube stars, that kind of genre, I think it would probably be more about tipping off the paparazzi than, you know, and certainly no A-list movie stars doing that. I don't. So, so that's, I think that's a good segue though, into, you know, the 14 years between when you started and now, obviously, uh, Google's come about, YouTube's come about, um, Instagram, Twitter, all the, now it's TikTok, right? Is assuming that by the time this airs next week, it's not banned in the US. But <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> this, this is like, it's such a change into the digital world. And I found, I don't know how it is in TV and film, but like my personal experience with theater is that the producers and, and directors and, and the world of theater is like the last to adopt 
technology change, technological change, and get in, get hop onto a social bandwagon of any sort. And so, we're, I guess, for you, where did you, when was, was there a point when you're like, oh, I'm behind the curve on this? Or do you see these things coming and they're like, all right, let's get ahead of it and I'm going to do that? Like Katrina Bowden, I see her all over everything. And, you know, is it, because she's good at social media is because you as her publicist are good at putting her in social media or like, do you see ahead of time? Like, Oh, you, you, have you sat down with any of your clients and you're like, all right, TikTok's the new thing. Here's how you do it. Um, sometimes I do. It depends on the client. You know, it really depends on if they're an actor in theater or TV or film versus, or, or a choreographer or a director. Cause sometimes it, it does, I find it's not as relevant. It doesn't help. Um, and Katrina does her own social media and she does it fantastic. So, you know, that's, let's, we'll give her credit for that. Cause that's all her. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that. I, I try I try and give them advice when it's warranted. I mean like a like Mark Kudish is like not active on social media. <laughs> and they're like there's potential there because he's so loved and has been around for so many decades in the theater that he could if he would play the game, could get a huge following, but he doesn't care. So is that you like do you have a conversation with him and like, hey, can, we should hire somebody or you should try this or there's a missed opportunity. Are you cool with it? Uh, I mean, actually, Mark and I had that conversation a couple of years ago, especially when he started working in TV a lot more. Um, and that was when he actually joined Instagram. It was probably two or three years ago um, and started, you know, posting a little bit on Twitter because he and I did have a conversation where I was like, dude, you've got, you've got to at least have a presence on here, you know? Um, and he was, he was good with it for a little bit, but yeah, it's just not, he's just not interested in it and it's not who he is. And I'm okay with that because I don't think it's going to make or break his career. Um, especially, you know, at the age and, and range that he's playing, I don't think it makes that much difference. Like he's not looking to be the next TikTok star. I don't even think he would know what TikTok is. Maybe he does. Maybe I don't even think I know what TikTok is. It's just not, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter to him. Exactly. Like you said, he doesn't care. And that's fine by me because I don't want to make somebody do something they don't want to do. I don't think it's detrimental for Mark Kudish's career. Whereas if it was a 21 year old female, just starting out, that would be different. Right. I've, I've had a, I've asked this question of a lot of older people. And I think Nancy Opal gave me oh, older. That's I, people of a certain age. We'll rephrase it. I've asked, I've asked this question of people of a certain age, um, older than 21. Um, and I think Nancy Opal probably gave me the best answer is that, you know, she said that like for younger people now, yeah, it, it is, a game where all things being equal, normally she just sees people getting hired that have a higher social media account, higher, fo a bigger following, because that's going to sell more tickets. And if they're more active on Instagram, that's going to get more. It's the free advertising. I mean, look at how TikTok essentially saved Beetlejuice. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I, and I don't disagree with Nancy. I 
you know, I'd like to think that the casting directors, you know, I'm not really on that side of things, but I would like to think that the casting directors do pick the, the best talent for the role versus who has the most Instagram followers. Um, I know that that's not always the case. Um, you know, from a, from a PR standpoint, it certainly helps me if somebody has a, a large following. You know, it, it makes it easier because the outlets really do. Obviously, you know, every outlet wants to get as many clicks as possible and, you know, have somebody promote it. And the only way to do that nowadays really is by a large social media following. So, you know, I kind of tell, I, I, my rule in general is either you go full force with it and you try and build up your following as much as humanly possible, or just don't be on it and have, you know, 15 followers that are your family and your wife or your husband or whoever, you know, because then it's clear, like, I'm not participating in this, you know, but if you're like somewhere in the middle or even, you know, what my, my following is, you know, you have like 1500 followers or whatever, that's fine for me. I'm just a regular person. Like, I don't care one way or the other, but like, if you're a, quote unquote celebrity or actor or trying to be a celebrity or whatever it may be. And you're finding yourself somewhere on that low end middle area. That's a problem. You got to make a choice one way or the other. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I go back and forth. Cause I'm like, I, I really, I want to do this. I want to get following. Cause it'll like, it'll help you help get more awareness, more of this, more of that. And then, you know, three days in, I'm like, Oh God, this is so much work. I just, <laughs> I don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, and, but now there are people you can hire, you know, and I, and my friend Jim does a lot of it and, and, um, you know, I send a lot of people to him. It's, if somebody wants to be able to have that kind of vision, so to speak on social media, but they don't want to have to do it. I mean, there are companies and people that do a really good job that you can hire. And that's, that's the suggestion that I make now. Right. Well, so, so pivoting then, I mean, into the digital, everything's come around and, and, you know, obviously it's not, it's not analog anymore, but now even specifically where we are today, uh, in the time of COVID with Broadway shut down, what are you, what are you doing? What's, how's the livelihood? Um, I'm doing okay. Thank you. Um, you know, I was lucky in that a lot of my clients stayed on retainer quite a bit longer than, um, I guess I would have expected, but there was also a ton of content needed for major outlets like Variety and Hollywood Reporter, Billboard, you know, so there was a lot to be done, especially like that last half of March, all of April and May. And then you kind of go into Emmy campaigning as well. I mean, so my TV clients have been on and I, I've been lucky that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just take it. I mean, I hate when people say this. It usually makes me want to hit them. Like anybody who would say, well, I just take it day by day. It's just so not somebody I need to be friends with. But I just take it day by day. I don't think there's anything. Right now I'm okay. Yeah, I don't think there's anything we can do it right now other than that. I mean, no. literally, because our, our orange in chief just spouts off so much different crap every day that we don't know what's coming. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you break it down, like your ultimate goal right now is one, not to die. Yeah. <laughs> 
you yeah. know, it's not even funny. Like, don't die. And, um, you know, as long as my family's okay and they're not sick, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm not sick. I haven't, you know, I'm lucky enough that I've got money saved and, and making money still where I can pay my rent and my bills. And I mean, I do, I am the person who's staying inside all the time. You know, I'll take walks, but I stay inside. I'm not, I'm not messing around with this, you know, and I'm not spending any extra money either. Um, but yeah, there's nothing you can do, but just, just try and stay sane and, uh, and take a debit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted sometimes by sort of the, 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 flagrant disregard for obvious safety you know i think youth is wasted on the young um but and we'll we'll leave it there without getting too political but i mean broadway i I often wonder though i try and think back like okay when i was 25 would i would i be ignoring all this like would i be like yeah fuck it i'm not gonna do whatever i want to do walk around the streets not wearing masks make out with people go drinking what i mean would i be behaving that i hope not but I don't know. Maybe I would. But, you know, it's just so we've never seen anything like this. And politics aside, it's just common sense and science. I don't understand. There are no politics involved when you have friends dying and family dying. And, you know, it's just it's insanity to me that anybody would just, you know, say fuck it and go about their business. It's so selfish, and I have no understanding of that level of selfishness in another human being. It's it's easy for us in New York to see, like, to look out our window and see a, a hundred people walking down the street because it's in front of us, and we're like, oh, it's easy to touch people, or it's easy to bump into them, and any one of them might have it, right? And, you know, it, I just think back to, to where I grew up in this tiny town in North Carolina, where where I, I was lucky to see three people walking on the street at any point. Like everyone's in their cars, but you just go from house to house in your car. And if anyone's outside, you don't bump into people. And like, I, I, I don't obviously, I obviously don't agree with like the whole wearing a mask is encroaching on your rights and all that. I mean, it's just plain common sense and safety, but the mentality of, of people who have never been to a big city, I get, I get that. Because I was there once. Sure, but I don't know what that really has to do with not believing it's a hoax. Well, that's different. That's just, yeah, that's just plain yeah. idiocy. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I don't know what that has to do with just going about your business. Like, that's great if you can go, you know, for five days without seeing another soul. You don't have to worry about anything right now, you know? But, like, you're still not going to go take a trip somewhere or, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, my family still lives in South Carolina and it's not like some small hit town or anything, but my mom, my parents are staying inside. My dad is working, but you know, and my brother and and sister-in-law are working, but they're all taking like serious precautions. No one's going out to eat. No one's, uh, you know, no one's doing anything. What I would call stupid. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, my mom, Luckily, her paranoia and anxiety works to her favor, works to our favor in this case, because she's got like, you know, almost a full hazmat suit that she puts on when she goes outside. So it's it's okay. Yeah. And that's also not to say that I don't understand 
how hard it, it is because I, I do live alone and I live in 400 square feet. And, um, you know, I've had autoimmune issues, so I can't take any risks. So I'm, I stay inside no matter what, unless I'm going for a walk with a mask and have everything delivered. And it has been four and a half, you know, almost five months now since another human being has touched me in any manner, handshake, hand on the shoulder, a hug, nothing. And you... You know, everybody has their issues. People are complaining about being stuck at home with their children or their parents or whatever, but it's not easy. It's not easy just because I, I say I'm following rules. Oh, no, no, I get that. Because entertainment people, like in this industry in general, like we are people who need people. And if yeah. I was by myself, I would, I, would, I would have to find a way to go out and, and just like stoop, stoop parties or... I mean, like socially distant park visits or whatever the case is, you know, like there's, there's things to do, but yeah, it's just, I miss hugging. I mean, nothing against my family, but I miss hugging my friends, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say, you know, I do FaceTime a lot. I make FaceTime dates. Um, I don't mean like romantic dates, just in general. And, you know, that is very helpful. I mean, last night Montego and I were on FaceTime for two and a half hours. And all of a sudden we were like, oh, it's 1130. We got to go. <laughs> but it's just so helpful. And I, I do think it does make a huge difference because you, even though you're not standing next to that person or touching somebody, you know, it, it at least like makes you feel normal to have a conversation like that. So well, I would strongly suggest that to anyone who's in the same position I am in. It's chemically, it's chemically, chemically proven, right? Like touching people and prolonged eye contact release, releases oxytocin. It's one of the pleasure chemicals. Like your brain needs it to regulate and you need other human contact evolution. Uh, evolution wise, we are herd animals. Yep. So anyway, um, Good times. yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've, I've lost some people to COVID actually. Um, and I know you have too. And I, and if you're okay, like, can we talk about Nick Cordero for a little bit? Cause he was yeah, one sure. of your former clients. Yeah. Yes. Was. So, I mean, so Nick obviously just tragic and, and I mean, in the, the industry in general though, um, has responded to, to him, uh, in a very sympathetic way, but, um, I guess this sort of ties back to what we were saying earlier is that, you know, it doesn't sort of doesn't matter. Age isn't all that. Uh, let me rephrase this. That COVID it does not discriminate really by gender or does, by gender or by, by race or by whatnot. And then it obviously affects people with underlying health issues and um, older people a little bit more. But um, Nick had, he was healthy. He was fine. He was what, 39, right? 41. 41, yeah. So, yeah, it was one year off of me. Yeah, so, and just out of the blue. And, and like, has this, has it affected you in, in a way, in any way that, like, has helped you or hurt you? Uh, it certainly hasn't helped me in, in any way. Um, I mean, it's been devastating. He, uh, he was a client and, um, you know, we worked together and ran his, I ran his Tony campaign for Bullets Over Broadway. And and we worked together on and off for a while. And uh, at one point, he was one of my absolute best friends. Um, 
you know, no one made me laugh more than Nick. Uh, we used to laugh constantly. Um, and, and, you know, time goes on, relationships change. Um, I mean, he got married and moved to California and, and you know, people grow apart. Um, but that love is always there in your heart for somebody, whether it was romantic or friendship. And, um, it's, it feels like a, it feels like a prison shank in the gut, to be honest. Like hmm. I have, um, I've had many experiences ever since high school where unfortunately like friends have passed away for one reason or another. Um, and it's always been tragic and hard, but I don't know. This one hit way harder than anything recently. Um, I just felt like my heart was being ripped out to be honest. It was awful to know that he was going through that much pain and, on the machines for as long as he was, um, that was heartbreaking. And then, you know, to know that the likelihood of him coming out of that was very slim. And I mean, a part of me was relieved that once he passed, at least like he wouldn't be any, in any pain any longer. And then I think like maybe about five days after he died is when I just kind of lost my shit. And, um, uh, you spent like three days just absolutely sobbing because you realize that um, it, it's just that it sounds so stupid, but you d I don't think that you realize, like, I'm never going to see this person again. I'm never going to have a chance to talk to him. I'm never going to be able to go over. Oh, but that, but this is the last thing we said to each other. And I, I don't want that to be, like, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's just really, really difficult. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally heart. It's literally heartbreaking. Um, I'm still having a hard time with it, obviously. Um, but I, I mean, I hope that, I mean, I hope that with time, obviously it gets easier to deal with this. Uh, but I hope also it just helps somebody else to stay at home. To know that just because, you know, you're healthy and 40, you know, 40, 41 years old, um, you can't just go about your business because you never know. Like, it's a complete crapshoot. I mean, Nick came to New York to start moving his furniture from all of his belongings from New York to L.A. And a couple of days later, he's sick, you know, and it was right when we had locked everything down in New York and L.A. And I'm sure if anybody could go back and do something over again, they would. But yeah, I mean, who, who knew that was going to be this serious? And certainly at the time, everyone was saying, you know, unless you're old or, you know, have cancer or whatever, maybe no one was wearing masks because you weren't supposed to be wearing masks then, you know. So it's just so many what ifs and um yeah, I'm not making much sense, but it's just devastating and, and, and sad, and uh, I miss him. Yeah, yeah. I, I never had the pleasure of, of meeting him, but, you know, everybody, like, even people outside of the theater and the Broadway community heard heard him being talked about and read articles about him. And, it, yeah, it was just one of those things where it was just so unexpected. And it became personal for a lot of people. I think it you know, for whatever reason, it was just a, a human story that people wanted to talk about. 
It wasn't yeah. like you said, an, an old, an old person or someone with asthma or someone with cancer. It was just a regular healthy guy that all of a sudden was just gone. Yeah. And it yeah. was, yeah. Yeah. It, it hit, it hit me. It hit me in a, like a, you know, kind of like a, whoa, life is really short sort of thing. And then, you know, as I approach 40, question my own mortality anyway, I think that, you know, it's just part of growing up and getting older, but. Well, I think um, you can't focus on that too much because then you're going to drive yourself crazy and be very depressed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, honestly, like, you know, and that, and that, that's aside from Nick, like, I don't mean that about Nick. I just mean in general, like you can't, you can't sit around questioning your own mortality very often because that's, that's just brutal. No, no. It, yeah. I'm, I'm somebody who likes to prepare for everything and like, and have all options, have a plan for all options. And I'm like, you know what, at this point, I just got to, got to live day to day. And you know what you were talking about is to take everything day to day. And you say, what am I doing today? All right. So I'm going to make breakfast and make sure that my kids are fed. So that everyone's yeah. happy today. Okay, cool. Exactly. Cool. And if it makes you feel any better, uh, that's the way Nick lived his life. <laughs> Nick didn't <laughs> <have it. laughs> I mean, that was like not Nick at all. You know, he was, um, I think I've said this before, but I mean, Nick just was not about like accolades or even though this is, you know, his former publicist saying this, but he didn't care about press. He would have thought, to be honest, like all the press and all the nonsense about him was absolutely that complete nonsense. He would have hated it. And um, he just would have been like, well, why, why is anybody making this about me? You know, he was always a guy that wanted to make sure everybody else was taken care of. And he was just about enjoying the ride. He, as long as he was having a good day that day and had his guitar and could play music and, you know, everybody was happy. That's all he cared about. Do you, do you get involved? I mean, it sounds like you really, really, obviously it's obvious you really cared about him and had a, had a very special relationship with him. Um, but I think, you know, in knowing you and knowing, and I've interacted with you off and on for a couple of years and through various things, but like you always are so protective and so invested in, in all of your clients and I, I was actually kind of surprised in researching like how many you have because I it takes a lot of effort to care about people genuinely like that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just yeah, I guess it's just my nature. Um, although you know, I'm sure there be plenty of people that, that hate me and probably say I'm cold and awful. But if you know me, I'm not. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, like most of my clients are very good friends. Um, I, I, I do take it all very personally with all of them. And, and it's from a professional standpoint of if somebody was, if I was still performing, if I was in their shoes and somebody was doing publicity for me, like how would I want them to be interacting with me and how would I want them to go about getting press and coverage for me. And I would want it to be as important to them as it was for me. And so that's what makes it so personal because I feel like it is the same, like getting somebody on the today show or the nightly news or whatever it may be is just like if I got on, you know, only thank God they're not showing my face. They're showing the gorgeous faces I work with, you know? Mm -hmm. and so I do, 
and you and you also you spend a lot of time with these people so you grow very close and um and i am by nature uh somebody who's very protective over the people i care about and friends and family and loved ones so i I, that does extend to my business it's you know for better or for worse that's who i am (laughs) why why have you have you ever i guess have you ever thought about going or joining more of a formal company and organization or like, cause you've always, you, I guess you've always worked by yourself for 14 years. Right. So were you ever, yeah. were you like, Oh, AKA Sereno, BBB, whatever, all these companies that are out there. Have mm-hmm. you ever just been like, why am I doing this on my own? This is so hard. No, no. Uh, I don't really? know. why. Um, no, I like it. Uh, I mean, I have three or four publicists in New York who freelance for me and I have two in LA and one in London. So I have people that help me out. But um, no, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to receive offers from other firms to join them. But um, at this point in time is not something that I'm interested in and hasn't been something I'm interested in. That doesn't mean like three years from now, I may change my mind, you know, but um, yeah, I don't I don't really want to have to answer to anyone else or even compare notes with someone else. I don't want somebody else's opinion on whether or not I sign someone or not. If I like them and they like me and I feel certain I can tell their story, I want to be able to work with them. I don't want to have to have a conversation about it. So after, and after doing it for almost 14 years on your own that way, it would be really hard to adjust, but never say never. Well, how do you, how do you pick new clients then? Um, it varies. You know, sometimes, a lot of times now, I'm lucky enough that they come to me where agents or managers, you know, have a client with an, a new uh, Broadway show or TV or film or whatever it may be. And they think of me and think that our personalities will get along. And so they contact me to set up a meeting. Or it's like what we talked about before. I mean, I look at what's coming up um, with what's shooting TV wise and film wise, what's coming up in the next two seasons of Broadway and, you know, try and get the, you know, inside scoop on who's maybe getting cast kind of situation. And I reach out to them. I mean, Mark Kudish, I mean, Mark's been a client for, I guess, I think like 10 years, but Mark's family, Mark and Shannon are family, but I, met Mark because he was getting ready to do nine to five. And I sent him a message on Facebook you know, and was like, Hey, do you want to get together for a coffee or a drink? And I did not realize at that time that that meant four hours <laughs> because if oh, you never met Mark, he's chatty. <laughs> I love that guy. I know. I love him so much. Um, so four hours later, <laughs> at a place in Midtown, we ended up starting to work together, but um, you know, I also, I'm friends with a lot of managers and agents and, and nowadays I would go certainly go through them before I would like reach out to someone on social media directly. I think that's obnoxious unless they don't have representation. Um, but yeah, it's half and half of people that come to me and people that I, I seek and go after because I want, I want to work with them. Um, you know, and then it comes down to we meet in person and whether or not we click. I mean, it really is kind of like dating, you know, without the, the physical involvement. It's, you know, whether or not you feel like you can spend a lot of time with this person because you really do. And if I believe in that person and their talent and their story, and I think that there's a good story to get out there, then that's the person I want to work with. 
Uh, I don't know what their train of thought is working with me. But <laughs> do you do you have time for personal relationships, like traveling and red carpets and everything? Like, how do you make time for yourself? Um, I do. You know, I'm I I keep my private life relatively private. Um, I try and not date in the business as much as possible. Good idea. They have to be a very secure person in their own right to be okay with what I do and not have it bother them. So that, that narrows the field. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, yeah, I didn't think about that, but it makes total sense that, that you have to have a partner in life that is completely comfortable with the two of you because you are around so many other influential, powerful people that, you know, stereotypically always get a lot of what they want. Right. Okay. So this has been a lovely conversation and I want to wrap up with the three standard closing questions that I ask everybody. The first one being very simply, what motivates you? Grit. Would that make sense? The drive, the passion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have two choices. You you can stay uh, under the covers or you can get up and go fight for whatever it is that you need. And and I choose the latter. That keeps me going. I like that. Okay. And then what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, God. I don't know. I hate that kind of question. Um, I There is no advice I'd give to my younger self which is a horrible answer, but it's just, I don't, I, I, I'm a person who does not live with regrets. So I really don't have that advice to myself. Um, to other people, I mean, it's easier said than done, but I think that the primary focus should always be to keep your eye on what it is you want to do and don't be afraid to go after it, but also don't be an asshole. I like, I like, don't be an asshole. That's just generally good advice. Generally the advice everyone should take. Yeah. Yeah. And then hardest question, if you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Ooh, a Broadway show. Yeah. Anything you, you cover the gamut. I'm going to make this hard for you. Oh, well, yeah, no, that would be too hard. I'd have to pick a genre. Um, let's go with a Broadway show. Okay. Um, Original cast of Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh wow! How about that? That's a that's a new answer. Okay, there you go. That's a new answer in a hundred and something episodes. That's the first time I've heard that. I think. That's the, 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 fantastic. Yeah. That original cast was amazing, and also it was just um, you know a whole line of gorgeous men dancing and singing that um, were a whole lot of fun back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm picking up on a trend with you. <laughs> hey, no, a girl's got eat. I get you. I get you. All right. So we can find you on Instagram and Twitter at Lisa Goldberg PR and oh, on your correct. website at lsgpublicrelations.com. The S for Shannon, I think. Yeah. Sharon. Sharon. Oh. So Sorry. cool. 
lsgpublicrelations.com. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on Facebook slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating and a review if you enjoyed what you heard today. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Lisa, thank you most of all. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Alan. I had so much fun. Thanks for breaking up my quarantine. Anytime. Yeah, we can, we'll have FaceTime anytime you want. I think this is fun. We, we do need to have more FaceTimes in our life. Rock on. I'm all in. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.